This is the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Now here at the Menopause Movement, we've surveyed over 50,000 menopausal women. And through this, we've discovered that the number one cause of menopausal suffering for our clients is weight gain. Now you've said things like, how do I lose the mental belly? I don't recognize myself anymore. How can I get me back? When menopause hit me out of the blue, I had no idea what was happening. And when I gained about 50 pounds overnight, I hated what I saw in the mirror. The menopause movement exists to provide world-class transformational education to women who are suffering from the symptoms and effects of menopause. And we're here to give you the education you need to get your life back. We want menopause to be the best time of your life. I mean, it is for me, and I want that for you. After years of trial and error, I finally cracked the code with my menopause weight, and now I want to share with you how I did it. I realized that what helped me the most was a challenge. So we've created a challenge for you to help you lose your mental belly. Simply go to menopausemovement.com forward slash challenge to sign up. I'll see you there. Today, we welcome Dr. Kate Shanahan back to the podcast. And today we're talking about migraines and what to do about them. Now, so many people are plagued with headaches. And in fact, headaches are one of the top reasons why people visit the doctor. But what if your headache is due to what you're eating? And what if what you're eating is endorsed by one of the biggest healthcare organizations out there? And what if they're wrong? That's what we're getting into today. Dr. Shanahan is a globally recognized nutrition and metabolism thought leader. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She's a speaker, NBA collegiate team, and professional athlete nutritional consultant. She works with athletes and other humans to optimize their metabolic health. And this is necessary because the current status quo in nutrition science is not evidence-based and the, the for-profit healthcare system lacks checks and balances that ensure ethical patient care. Further, athletes are bombarded by nutrition advice that is based on poor quality advice and dramatically impairs their ability to use their body fat for fuel, also known as metabolic flexibility. She was the nutritional consultation for the Los Angeles Lakers from 2011 to 2016 and has appeared in Good Morning America, Scientific American, Sports Illustrated, CNN, Ms. Journal, U.S. News and World Report, Prevention Magazine, Vogue, National Geographic, GQ, The New York Post, Women's World and People Magazine, just to name a couple. Her newest book, The Fat Burn Fix, is a New York Times bestseller and is a guide to show you and show your body how to start burning fat for fuel. Dr. Shanahan framed in family medicine and has a background in biochemistry and genetics, and she studied at Cornell. During the podcast today, we talk about why do we get headaches? What are metabolic headaches? The role inflammation plays in headaches and what to do about that. What is really happening with an aura in a migraine? One simple change that you can make to your diet right now that can result in an 80% reduction of migraine medication. Vicious versus virtuous cycles. Why a plant-based treatment for migraine doesn't really work. And stay to the end to discover the best way to get started removing harmful, toxic seed oils from your diet. At the end of this episode, be sure to visit menopausemovement.com forward slash blog, where you can find the show notes, plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy this episode, like and subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So you're always the first to know when each episode is released. And thanks for all of the five star reviews. If you haven't left a review yet, please take the time to review the podcast because this helps more women to find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause because no one should have to go it alone. It can be hard, you know? Thanks again for being a part of the menopause movement. Now let's get back to Dr. Kate Shanahan. I'm so excited to share 
all of this information with you. Dr. Kate Shanahan, thanks so much for coming back to the Menopause Movement Podcast today to talk to us again about your expertise. And today I thought it might be really kind of fun. We've, we have a little series on headaches. And the first series on headaches, I spoke to a, a woman I went to medical school with who actually does functional medicine and osteopathic manipulation. We talked a lot about about headaches and, and what to do. And so I thought if we looked at it from a different perspective, and if you could talk a little bit about the science behind headaches, what you know causes headaches, and then maybe we could get into a little bit about food. Does that sound okay? Yeah, that sounds great. So yeah, headaches are a real headache. They're like one of the most common reasons doctors uh, <laughs> get visited. And, and you know, disappointingly, we don't really understand a lot about what drives the most common headaches. We don't do a good job distinguishing headaches either, right? So you already brought up there's musculoskeletal related, and uh, there's hormone related. And then there's my area of expertise, which is metabolic related. And, um, and that's like my favorite one to talk about because it's my area of expertise, <laughs> but it does play into right, the hormones. Of course. It plays into the hormones. So they're interrelated. And of course they're all interrelated. It also plays into the musculoskeletal headaches as well. So if your metabolism basically is mm. set up to cause inflammation, you're going to have headaches of all kinds. And so we can break down how that works today if, you, if you'd like so that people can understand like what does it mean to have a metabolism yeah. that's set up to give me headaches and what can I do about, the, about that, <laughs> especially diet-wise. Yeah, I think, I think that's actually, yeah, really great. So inflammation is a, is a big, you know, a big issue. And we've learned, you know, over the years, especially, you know, for somebody who's got a big mass market appeal, like Andrew Weil say that, you know, you want to eat things that are anti-inflammatory and he's got his whole anti-inflammatory food period pyramid and whatnot. And if inflammation plays a role in headaches, right? What, what does that mean? I mean, how, what, how does that work and what does that mean? Yeah, right. I was just laughing because uh, you slipped in food, period. It's like, yo, you've got that menopause mm. mindset, right? Oh, pyramid. Oh. <laughs> so it was funny. Uh, Did I say that. period? I meant to say pyramid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm oh, sorry. That just, that just distracted me. So I'm sorry. I just thought it was mm. funny, though. Um, so yeah, so, like, so inflammation. Why is he? Why is? Mm. Yeah. So Andrew Weil, you brought up this whole concept. He really did. And I'm, I'm grateful to him to bringing in the, into the conversation around medicine, inflammation. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. we didn't really get to the root cause of the main driver of inflammation until like we bring in how vegetable oils affect everything, how, how the processed foods in our diet um, affect everything. Because it's so it, the way that it's currently talked about with the antioxidants and the relationship between dietary antioxidants and then inflammation, right? It's like, well, you know, mm -hmm. you have to eat blueberries because they have the most powerful antioxidant in them or no, 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 it's not blueberries. It's pycnogenol or no, it's strawberries or this or that or the other. And it's because it, it's, it's a, uh, the antioxidant. Yeah. Resveratrol. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> resveratrol, whatever. Yeah. I mean, let's drink more red wine. Right. So like, if, and if you're looking at all these folks who are selling yeah. supplements, you're like, oh my God, there's like 87 <laughs> different kinds of supplements I should have. And that's just the ones that I should have with breakfast. So 
like the the real no. the real issue with inflammation and controlling inflammation has to do with allowing your body to work the way nature designed it. And so that's the conversation that I like to have and I like to help I'd like to have that, you know, here <laughs> because it's so important. Sure. Our bodies really are naturally designed to take care of inflammation and and control aging and make menopause easy and prevent headaches, right? But what happens is the modern diet totally wrecks our bodies and the way they work. And uh, the modern diet specifically uh, makes it very difficult for our body to control inflammation because the modern diet destroys the functionality of our body's antioxidant systems that like nature gave us. Right. And so mm -hmm. we're not normally supposed to be needing to take supplements and the supplements actually are not particularly effective. Honestly, you know, they, you have to take a whole bunch of them to get them to work. And any single one does, isn't really a standout. They, because Oxidation and inflammation is a complex process. You can't just stop it all with one little supplement. So what you want to do is support your body. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about right. So so but let's talk about the supplements for a minute because when it comes to just about, you know, in anything like, you know, balancing your hormones, we talked about this last time, that these are like myths that are created by industry to get the money out of us, right? To get us to buy things. Like so so do our hormones have to be balanced? Is like aren't we in a state of balance? Isn't that the whole idea of the human body to be in a state of homeostasis? Absolutely. Right. You know? and so, so, what's, so what's I just think it's really funny. That? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, it, when there's things getting in the right, way of right. that, then we become like these perfect uh, consumer because we'll constantly be needing this or that to, we'll constantly be knocked out of balance <laughs> and, and be seeking something that promises to put right. us back in balance. And that's what's happening. But really the key is getting away from the, the processed food industry and their main three ingredients that knock us out of balance, but that compose 66% of the average person's diet, the average American's diet. And 66% wow. of that person's diet is made up of just three things. And those are refined carbohydrates and flours, refined sugars, and the seed oils. And you just can't possibly be in homeostasis when that is your diet. You can't, it's not possible. No matter how many supplements you take or how many doctor's visits you have or, or how good your health insurance. So the, the real issue is, is that we got to stop doing that. We got to, th those things create arena in our body where we will be susceptible to so many diseases and inflammation plays a role because mm. we breathe air and air we bring oxygen into our blood and oxygen promotes oxidative stress. <laughs> we have to be able to handle that. And when we're not healthy, we can't. Right. And so, so tying it to All right. So, so you, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Well, before well, we do that, though, be, let's just go ahead. That's fine. Go ahead. Tying it to headaches. And then I'll, I'll bring up what I want to bring up. Go ahead. Well, okay, sorry. I, I thought I was making a wrong assumption that that is what yeah, you wanted no, no, to bring up. no, no, it's okay. <laughs> so headaches. Um, no, it is, it is. It's okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> headaches. Headaches occur for a, a number of reasons. So I want to talk about like what I see as the number one metabolic-related headache, right? So that is energy impairment in your brain. Your brain is not getting enough energy. Your brain cells are not able to create ATP that they need to keep 
their membranes polarized. Right? The brain is, uh, is a very highly electrically polarized system. It's all about electricity. And to maintain the electricity requires a lot of energy. The, the ability to produce energy mm -hmm. requires a lot of, I'm sorry, to produce thought requires producing electricity. And to be able to produce electricity, we have to have negative charges on one side of our cell membranes and positive charges on another. And that takes a lot of energy. So if you lose uh, the ability to make energy, your brain loses the ability to, to do this fundamental thing that, that enables you to think. And one of the first things you're going to experience is that when you get hungry, your blood sugar drops just a little too much for your brain and you just have a little too much trouble getting energy to all of your brain and your brain starts to malfunction and you maybe experience brain fog, like irritability and this state of being hangry that a lot of people talk about jokingly because, you know, it kind of means secretly, oh, I get to eat something. I get to snack, right? So it's kind of like a, almost like an a fun thing, but it's not fun to have for your brain to be deprived mm -hmm. of energy. And what can happen is, is uh, if a large enough area of your brain is deprived of energy, you start to get a widespread failure that leads to a migraine. And people who have migraines experience an aura this thing uh, called an aura, which when it's in the visual field, it's like a visual changes. Like you will see some kind of a visual change kind of yeah. moving across your visual field. It can occur in other parts of your brain and you'll have other symptoms, but the most commonly recognized is this seeing something is easy to recognize. And that's due to something called, it's like spreading de depression or de spreading depolarizing de spreading depression. Uh, what it means is your that this whole area of your visual field is not maintaining its electrical integrity all of a sudden, and it's basically about to shut down. And so it it, it essentially kind of changes. It's a it kind of like shuts down a little bit just so it doesn't die, because it's trying to protect itself from dying. And so you mm. go through this period of having a migraine aura, which is just the beginning of a, a usually, a, you know, a multiple hour and sometimes multiple day experience that is really area of your brain having been in jeopardy and potentially experiencing permanent damage. So I, this is why I like to talk about migraine headaches in particular, because a lot of people don't realize that if you have migraine with aura, you may be getting brain damage. And it, it's it's a crazy thing, but we've just discovered that people who have migraine with aura are found very often to have multiple tiny little spots on their MRI of their brain that look like they had little tiny strokes. And it makes sense if you think about it, that, that area of wow, your brain is not getting energy. That's what a stroke is, is lack of energy, not just lack of blood. Yeah, right. So or lot, lot, lack of blood flow and and that's really, I mean, that's really scary. Now, I, I used to get migraines and, and when I was younger, and I think they were all kind of related to my periods and, and things like that. And I actually took a, a drug called Topamax for a while for migraine. Hmm. And what I found was in addition to like me losing my desire to eat while I was on to Topamax, I mean, I lost probably 20 pounds while I was taking it. On top of that, the my cognition just went down like I couldn't think as well and that's one of the side effects of that of that drug and it's used very very commonly in 
seizures and it's used commonly in migraines. But I, I found that to be really weird. And interestingly, I haven't had a migraine headache since I stopped with sugar and vegetable oil. Haven't had one at all. And that's that's been years now. Yeah. And you know what? It's not, I am not surprised because I hear this all the time. I'm, I'm, well, I'm actually, I should say, I'm mm-hmm. very happy to hear that too, because, you know, especially if you had a migraine with aura, it is called spreading depression. So I, I had to like think about that. It, it's, it's, it's okay. a weird kind of term, but it's, uh, it does respond. It, it's, it's talking about how there's just like, it's not quite a seizure. But it's it's almost like seizure activity because all of a sudden there's a major area of your brain that has abnormal electrical activity happening. It's really suppressed electrical activity. And I think that the reason that drugs like Topamax or Dopamax, they, they call it Dopamax because it makes people feel so uh, dopey <laughs> sometimes, right? I, f- I feel like one of the yeah. reasons that, that it may work is partly because it does kind of alter the way electricity happens in your brain, but also because... If you're not so able to concentrate, well, then you're really not able to overexert your brain, right? Like concentration is basically like a workout for your brain, right? It demands more blood flow. It demands more oxygen. And if you're taking a drug that makes it hard for you to concentrate, then you're also taking a drug that reduces the oxygen demands, right? That reduces the times when your Mm -hmm. brain is going to have an area of the brain that's working so hard, it needs a lot more oxygen more than it can get. And so if, you know, when they work, I think that's why, but that's, that's not how you want to solve a migraine, right? You don't want to solve a migraine by becoming a poor concentration person, <laughs> you know, by being, living in a brain fog. But, yeah. Well, that's, um, I mean, it, it can make your ADD worse or whatever. And I just wanted to just clarify for the audience that the depression in this, in this case doesn't mean the depression that we know in the mainstream. Depression means that the electrical, electrical activity has decreased. So I just wanted to, to clarify that. Very important. Thank you. So, uh, so yeah. yes. So yeah. when you get the vegetable oil out of your diet, what that does is so many things. It's like, I don't, I don't even want to start. So but let's start with just the fact that vegetable oil has toxins in it that occur due to the processing. So soy, corn, canola, cottonseed, soy, uh, sunflower, grapeseed oil, these all have toxins in them when you buy them in the bottle. And when manufacturers or restaurants buy them, food manufacturers, right? I'm talking about the folks who make frozen dinners or frozen, any kind of like frozen ready to eat food, most of the the junk foods. So the toxins Mm -hmm. are already in there. But then when you heat them again, they magnify, you generate more toxins. And I'm talking about neurotoxins that are so powerful. One of them is called acrolein. Another one's called 4-hydroxynonal. You can just drop like like micromolar amounts of these things onto a Petri dish with with nerve cells and just watch it kill the nerve cells because it's, because they're that toxic. So, you know, fortunately uh, when we're eating these things, our body has some mechanisms to deal with a certain amount of these toxins. So they don't all get right into our brain, but a lot of them do. And, and it's essentially, it's like a brain destruction vehicle is what these vegetable oils are. And Mm. I I have a whole chapter in my book, Deep Nutrition about, you know, all the ways that these oils attack your brain because they're that bad. Yeah. I, I remember reading that and I remember, I remember it being such an aha moment for me when I read that and, and I was, and I was like, shit, you know, I'm, I'm putting plastic 
you know, into my, into my brain and it's making, it's making my genes stiff. It's making my thinking stiff, you know, all of those things. And what, well, you think about plastic as kind of a, you know, it goes, it's, it's, you know, how it works for me when in deep nutrition, you have a very, very eloquent way of putting the process of it and how, you know, it goes when you're processing seed oils, there's, it goes through a part where it's solid, right? And they have to be able to make it liquid at room temperature. And so when I started thinking about, it, I was like, you know, there's, you know, we're taking, it's almost like the production of gasoline in a sense. You're taking this big manufacturing process. You've got plastic as part of it, which, which plastic is, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really great tool. It's, you know, it's my, my glass made of plastic. Awesome. Right. But do I want this really stiff stuff inside of my brain kind of clogging up the works or, or inside of my arteries or whatever? And I do think that we have a little bit of protection through say our blood brain barrier. But the, the problem I think is, is that we're so inundated with it that, that our defenses break down. And to think about dropping, you know, these, these toxins that are, that are just inherent inside of these oils into our nerve tissue. I mean, you know, you're giving us this really great visual of, you know, basically, you know, if, if, no, if you haven't ever been a scientist, you've never seen a Petri dish, but a t- Petri dish is basically a, 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 this round piece of plastic, right? <laughs> that's filled with it's basically filled with this this gelatin like material and sometimes it's got blood in it and that's called a blood agar and basically you know you you, you grow stuff in it and it's usually it's you grow living things like like bacteria or nerve cells or or whatever and so to think about taking one drop of something and watching it kill a whole peach you just fill, filled with life is that's really pretty amazing and and scary yeah it, it is and it's amazing that you know we're actually even able to function given how much our diets are filled up with this stuff but on the other hand that means that you know once you start eliminating them there's just so much good health waiting for you but i want to talk about a study that was done at the national yeah. institute of health on by a gentleman named dr chris ramsden who's done a lot of really good work on vegetable oils and, and health and disease and he actually uh studied people who had really severe migraine, so severe that the average person was on five medications every single day to try to control their migraines. And there, the, the study lasted for about 12 weeks. And he just took everybody in the study off the seed oils. They provided them a diet that was free of seed oils. And so that they didn't have to like figure things out on their own. So it was a, there was a study diet, it was a really good balanced mm-hmm. diet, no seed oils, pretty a reasonable amount of carb, it, but really the main thing was just eliminate these seed oils and almost nothing else. And they found that by the end of the 12 weeks, not only had all of them improved, 80% of them were off medications. And these are people that needed, I mean, wow. we're not talking about just improvement. We're talking about like, you know, like fewer, you know, headaches. We're talking about many people were headache free and the study only lasted 12 weeks, mm. but you can see the they, they tracked like the, the symptoms on a weekly basis. And so at the beginning, they had this, they, they created a graph by, by doing this. And the graph shows that at the beginning of the study, mm-hmm. you know, everybody had lots of symptoms. So there was lots of dots up by the 100% bad days. And then as the study progressed, they, the dots went down and down and down and down to a, about 80% of where they had been but it was starting to accelerate. Like it, there was a little lag before there was really any improvement. It was like, you know, two weeks a month before really anybody improved. But by 12 weeks, the curve had become so sharp down that it was, 
it was clear that if they had just kept, it really looked like if they just kept the study a little bit longer, people would have been headache. They would have been cured. Most people would have been cured. I mean, can you imagine that? That's, I mean, that's so, so interesting. So, so the big question I have when it comes to vegetable oils, then if, if we know from all these studies that they are poisonous, right? And that they are harmful to us, then why haven't the government agencies removed them from our diets? <laughs> if the government's, right. you know, su supposed to like be have our health in our best interest. Yeah, you would think that, you know, especially since in a way the government is paying for a lot of our health care, right? But, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm, you I'm, have a feeling you have talked about this before with your audience, <laughs> right? That the government isn't really, uh, <laughs> they're not, they don't care, <laughs> right? Because the, there's the idea that the government is looking out for us. And then there's the reality that there are people working in government who are susceptible to bribes. And that's what's going on every day. <laughs> That yeah. they're being I mean, I hate to, I hate to say bribes. I don't really want to like implicate any, you know, I don't want to bring up any conspiracies or anything like that, but, but how I will couch it is that America especially is the home of the corporation in the land of the profit. And exactly. there's no profit in, in these expensive oils for them, you know? And I mean, here, you know, in my home, we fry things every once in a while. And when we do fry, we use like new peanut oil and we throw it away, that sort of thing. But for the audience, just, just remember that vegetable oils are a byproduct of another, of another thing. So it's like, basically 100% profit for whatever the industry is, you know, if, if somebody's growing canola, say, then they, they, you know, they use it for seed oil pr primarily, I think. I mean, I don't know a whole lot, enough about, about agriculture, but what I can say is that when a corporation sees that, oh, hey, wow, you know, there's a 100% profit here because this is just a byproduct of something else, then they're going to push through everything. And because it's odorless, tasteless, and cheap, then, you know, restaurants are going to use it. And that's why I love Five Guys, because they use peanut oil. <laughs> for their french fries yeah and i think chick-fil-a <laughs> even uses some a, a lot of peanut oil relative to the average fast food it's a national chain yeah yeah and, um, I, I don't i'd never eat there but <laughs> go ahead so yeah so, <laughs> I, so just but the, to put a little more like detail into the answer to your question we have to talk about how foods uh, you know transported and how long it sits on the shelf and some of the laws about what can and can't mm. sit on the shelf. You cannot have a food that contains butter as an ingredient just sitting on the shelf for an indefinite time. There's there's rules around right. what you're allowed to have for sale that isn't refrigerated. And so when your choice is, it's not just the material itself. There's all these downstream consequences of the cost when you're making some kind of ready-to-eat product. And so when you have canola oil or soy oil as an ingredient, those things are, you know, shelf stable, right? Because nothing's going to, they don't deteriorate in the traditional sense because they're essentially toxic to microbes. And uh, so there's nothing there, you know, to, to rot, but butter, you can't have, you can't have any kind of animal fat. Like if you want to make cookies, um, it's very difficult to create a product that is cost-effective because you are required for mm -hmm. a lot of these products to be refrigerated. That means they have to be refrigerated during shipping. So it's not just taking up expensive space on the edge of the grocery store. 
and refrigeration is very expensive in the store. It's also the shipping and the shelf life. Instead of being indefinite, like a Twinkie, it's just a few, maybe weeks, right? Mm. So that's a huge part of it. And so the the processed food industry depends on that. And so I think that's a big part of why they're going to continually lobby for the governmental aspects of it to continue to support seed oils as a healthy food, which is where we're at. The American Heart Association (laughs) supports seed oils as a healthy food. And so the, all of the medical education system is designed to miseducate doctors about these seed oils are a healthy food. And that happens because of the American Heart Association, because they get money from Procter and Gamble and companies that make seed oil products. So, you know, you could, it is, you know, the word conspiracy has like a bad connotation, but I I think it literally just means people breathe together, right? Their interests are aligned, right? So we have the seed oil industry, the big food industry, the American Heart Association, their interests are aligned. They just happen to be aligned. So they create a series of events and and situations in our society that are good for them. And they don't really care about our health. It's not the thing that they're looking out for. They're looking out for their pockets. So it's not like a crazy kind of idea. It's just business, right? It's just good business. They collaborate together. And the end result is we're eating more seed oils. 80% of our fat calories now come from seed oils because the American Heart Association has been telling us they're healthy and that saturated fat clogs our arteries. <laughs> well, and, and we know that's not true. And and we know that just from just from blood tests that that when somebody starts eating natural fats, you know, and the, the line that you have in deep nutrition, nature doesn't make bad fats. I use it all the time. And, you know, palm oil and, you know, that used to be in... You know, palm oil, especially that that used to be a staple of these processed foods and now no longer is because, you know, and that devastated, you know, economies where, where palm was, was used. But it's really hard. You know, I, 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 what keeps coming to mind is that, you know, you uh, almost, you know, single handedly are fighting city hall and, (laughs) and for you to, to, you know, to go up against, you know, such a such a big institution like the American Heart Association with it. But then you have study after study after study and data after data after data. And I'm not here to tell you, I mean, this is not a podcast about medical advice. And so this is not medical advice, per se. But again, those doctors that are telling you that seed oils are okay, never had a lick of nutrition science in their careers. And everything they're being told is because of the interests of the seed oil lobby. And so it's really hard to, to go out and, and buy some cheap food that doesn't have seed oil in it. And the point I think of today's podcast is like, if you want to stop having migraines, cut out two things from your diet. Number one is all seed oils, anything that's manufactured. And number two would be sugar. And I don't think we have the opportunity to go into sugar today because I, I think there's a lot more we can talk about with seed oils, but we can always have you come back for, for sugar. <laughs> <But> let's so <laughs> moving on with the with the seed oils and the migraines. I mean, what other problems do you do you see maybe in your practice with people who are on, you know, that that have you know, even just some anecdotal stories of people who have come off of these seed oils and have their lives have changed? So I have a lot of people who have dizziness when their blood sugar drops a little bit. And that is a type of migraine 
called vestibular migraine. So if your dizziness involves like a sensation of movement or like you can't focus, think looks like things are moving, that's vestibular migraine. So instead of affecting the visual portion of your brain and seeing like something moving across your visual field, you get a sensation of instability or dizziness and you can get some pretty really bad uh, nausea with that. And I have had so many patients Mm -hmm. that had, that was their kind of migraine and and it wasn't even diagnosed because it, for whatever reason, well, I guess it's because doctors are so busy. They really can't drill down into when you say you're dizzy, a lot of people jump to the conclusion that it's their blood sugar. And that does play a role. Absolutely. Because, you know, a lot of people with this have noticed that it's, it occurs when they feel like they need a snack or they missed a lunch and it goes away when they have a snack because Mm. they are bumping their blood sugar and giving them uh, their brain just a little bit of uh, maybe a little bit more energy so that it doesn't get to that like um, spreading depression state that we were talking about earlier with the neurological uh, dysfunction. Mm. And, and so I was just speaking to somebody yesterday that this was their major kind of headache that they had in their whole life. They thought they had hypoglycemia and they don't, she didn't get it anymore. Like, because for the past three years, she's been avoiding the seed oils and she, she rarely, rarely has it. She still has it a little bit, but because she wasn't like 100%, no, you know, avoiding the seed oils. And I said, well, you really better 100%. And, and she still was kind of fairly metabolically fragile where her blood sugar would fluctuate. And so as your blood sugar fluctuate and goes down, that will often trigger a problem. But it, it used to be incapacitating where she sometimes she couldn't even drive. And now she's like, it rarely happens. Like she has to, she has to really have a bad day. So that, and that was just yesterday. There's, there's a lot of folks out there that are, that are dealing (laughs) with, with migraines and that it's pretty much a guarantee that you're going to have massive improvements. They may not go away hundred percent because before menopause, you're still having hormonal cycling and the hormone triggers are, you know, they work on a different a slightly different angle there as to how do they cause migraines that that nobody really understands very well but i think it has something to do with the fact that the our hormones are designed to certain combinations are designed to kill blood cells like in the uterus right that's the whole point is a certain time mm-hmm. of the month you grow blood vessels in the uterus so that it's a nice fertile ground for fertilized egg and then at the time of the month where it's yeah. about time for your period the hormones now, if you have not gotten pregnant, the hormones are such that they shut off those blood vessels. They want them to essentially just die. Like, oh, we don't need these. Let's get rid of them, clear them out. And that's what having a period is. And so, right. but it's a similar, you know, we have blood vessels in our head too, right? And they're not supposed to respond the same way that blood vessels in our uterus do. But given the difficulty of, um, you know, every cell responding perfectly to everything all the time, sometimes there's little mistakes and you'll get, you'll get a migraine. Okay. Cause it's something's happening maybe with your causing some kind of inflammation in your brain that would respond to a migraine medicine. Sure. So those hormonal headaches, they do t- respond very well to, to, uh, Prozac and things that kind of interfere with how hormones are affecting your blood vessels, but they will also get better because well, isn't it also though, the one thing I, I, I keep thinking about about is that hormones, you know, the building block of hormones is fat. And if you only give your body 
you know, these seed oils, these crappy fats, you know, you're going to have more hormonal issues. And we, we did talk about that a little bit last time. And so it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy, or maybe even like a cycle of, of unhealth or dis-ease, you know, when the, the only building blocks that you have to, to build up your hormones, uh, it, you know, comes, comes from these, these horrible fats and, and it kind of perpetuates the whole sick care that has become medicine in America. It's almost like the seed oil industry and, and, and the big medical complex are working together. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it sickens me. I, I really, yeah. that's, that's why I'm <laughs> well, not they, in they medicine benefit. anymore. And I'm, I'm really <laughs> on the, the path to health. Yeah. Yeah. They Good benefit from each other. But one thing I, I wanted to ask you, you were talking about how it took a couple of weeks to a month for the people that were in that study to start seeing results. And then it was almost like a, you know, maybe a logarithmic or, or exponential sort of improvement in these people. And, and I see this in women who are in my program too, as they start to change their diet, you know, if they, especially people who have like chronic illnesses, like, like fibromyalgia or something. And I've had plenty of women who've just like come way down off their medications because they were able to like start paying more attention to what their pain meant. And they were also like, obviously not eating seed oils anymore. Mm -hmm. And so why, why anecdotally, I know for myself, if I go, I, and I think I said this the last time we talked, if I go out and eat a whole bunch of crappy food that I know has vegetable oil in it, I'm going to feel depressed for about, about two days later. And then, and then it takes about two weeks for that to go away. And I finally realized that it's just not worth it. And I, <gasps> I don't eat those things when I go out anymore. And so, so the question I have for you is why does it take two weeks to start seeing those kinds of results? So it's your body is in is starting a virtuous cycle. It's the opposite of a vicious cycle, right? Like a vicious cycle is one thing, one <laughs> bad thing happens that leads to another bad thing that leads to another bad thing and around and around you spiral down. So when you get vegetable oils out of your life, you make way for more nutritious foods, particularly usually high protein foods and high mineral and high vitamin foods. These are things that your body needs for building blocks. So you're getting rid of inflammation. You are giving yourself building blocks for rebuilding some of the stuff that your body's been trying to make all along, but maybe didn't have the building blocks for, or the infl inflammation was suppressing. As you, as you go through this process, you become more able to control inflammation. You, one of the things that you build are antioxidant enzymes, which require a lot of minerals and a mm. lot of protein. And so when you can build more antioxidant enzymes that, than you could before, so you have less inflammation, more antioxidant enzymes, more of the building blocks of everything you need to run everything properly. So it's, it's a virtuous cycle. So what you're seeing is basically growth, right? Like a seed will sit there for a long time and then all of a sudden rain and sun and right? But it takes a little bit for things to happen before you see it really shooting out of the ground. So it's, it's kind of a little bit like that. It's sort of like you're coming back to life. There's a, there's a time there where your body's like, wow, things are different. Can I really do this? Can I do this? And just one thing after the other, that's good happens, yeah. happens, happens. DNA that's been like suppressed. That's, that is like DNA that would be driving the production of certain enzymes and different parts of your body that you need to build. Um, that DNA becomes out of suppression. So it just, <laughs> One thing after the other that is good happens. It's it's really like a, a rebirth because there's so many things happening. I could just go on about all the different ways that your body starts to be able to yeah. function again. 
And, and so I think that's that, that lag time is uh, almost like an indication of something, the lag time before something really exploding is an indication of something real, right? Like uh, when, when we look at another mm-hmm. kind of diet, dietary intervention, which I've seen studies on this for migraines as well, is plant-based. And what they do is with plant-based is they, they usually give you whole food, more whole food type plants. And they do also, when they, when they give you these controlled studies, they don't give you potato chips, even though potato chips would be perfectly compatible with a plant-based diet. In these settings, you don't get the obvious junk food, but the kind of improvement that you see, whether it's weight or headaches in those scenarios is the opposite shape of the curve. Like you'll see the movement, any movement that happens kind of happens early and then it slows down and Mm. there's no more improvement after a certain amount of time. And, and that to me is a sign of, okay, well, what you just did was you eliminated something bad about your diet, but you're still not really getting yourself into that virtuous cycle of like regrowth and rebirth with, with a, a plant-based diet, yeah. even if it's a plant-based whole food diet, because partly because they still include a lot of the seed oils and it's harder to get enough protein when you're not doing any animal products. I mean, it's possible but it's very difficult to sustain. And a lot of people just don't feel so good because a lot of folks also need, you you were saying earlier about your hormones and how they're made out of um, fat. Uh, Most of our sex hormones are made out of a kind of fat called cholesterol. And if you're not eating cholesterol, it's okay, your body can make it, but it's very difficult to make. It's a lot easier for your body just for you to eat it. And and plants don't have cholesterol. They don't have the kind of cholesterol our body uses. They have plant cholesterol, but it's not the same thing. And seed oils actually reduce your body's ability to put cholesterol into your bloodstream. And one of the things that I find a lot in um, in 40-something women who are following like a lean and clean diet is that their good cholesterol, their HDL cholesterol is suppressed, it's low. And when you give them the healthy fats and you tell them, go ahead and enjoy eggs, especially if they're pasture raised and go ahead and enjoy cheese and, you know, animal uh, based foods. Uh, I always try to add sneak in like, please, hopefully like uh, organic or like humanely raised or something like that. Cause I think that's very important. It's important for our health and their right. health, et cetera. But when you do that, you are, uh, you dramatically will s- see dramatic elevations in somebody's HDL level. So their HDL might've been in the forties or the fifties and you change their diet and this good cholesterol HDL comes up to 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, where it probably really belongs. And that is an indication that your body's capacity to produce cholesterol and all of these cholesterol-based hormones, which are most of our sex hormones, has improved. And so this is like one of the key things that I use when I'm helping uh, people with infertility, because it's very Mm. difficult to carry a baby to term with all those dividing cells um, if you don't have enough cholesterol in your body, the number one thing that a cell does when it's deciding if it's okay to divide is measure its cholesterol levels because that cholesterol is that important to cell division. And it's that important to the wow. ability of your cell membrane to do its job and to function. And if you don't have enough cholesterol, the cell will not divide. So no I worries. wanted, let's just to talk a little bit about, uh, yeah. 
uh, to talk a little bit about fertility. And and it's funny because Joe Dispenza, and you know who Joe Dispenza is? It sounds familiar. Remind me. <laughs> so Joe Joe Dispenza is a chiropractor, and he teaches he teaches yoga, but it, he would you wouldn't call it yoga because it's not. He teaches he teaches how to become supernatural. Uh, he's got a book called Becoming Supernatural, and I've seen his seminars. And it's really interesting is he taught the way he talks about fertility is that if you never if you never give your your brain a rest if your brain is always in high beta then you're always in this hyper alert state where you know if you can never get yourself into alpha or delta and and or gamma and you just never you never really relax then your body's never going to be in a position where it wants to conceive and you know, and, and that's the whole high stress state, right? But then if you, if you, you couple that with the fact that, that there's no good building blocks for your gametes to divide, you know, you look at, you look at, you know, how we, how we used to, you know, it used to be, I mean, infertility was, has always been an issue, but it seems to me to be even more of an issue now, especially for people who say had an unplanned pregnancy when they were teenagers and then, and then want to start planning now. And after all these years, and sometimes we'll see fertility doctors put people on a keto diet just, just to give them better fats. The problem is, is that they don't also say, by the way, get off seed oils. Yes, that's a huge missing piece in the, the keto community because uh, the keto community kind of evolved from the low-carb community, uh, low-carbohydrate community. There's a lot of doctors yeah. who belong to uh, the Obesity Medicine Association that, that were disciples, really, of Atkins. And, you know, he, of course, focused on carb. So they don't think about, like, the fats. And the American Heart Association doesn't help because, you know, their job essentially is to sell seed oils and make sure that we're all, you know, thinking that they're just the greatest thing. So there's barrier that's created e that even doctors who are really interested in nutrition can't get past because they don't know what's there. They don't know what's behind the barrier. And and what's behind the the barrier that I'm talking about is the is the wall put up by the American Heart Association because they do publish they have like 12 publications and all of them are devoted in part to miseducating doctors around nutrition. And what's on the other side of this barrier is multiple oil scientists, multiple uh, organizations of oil scientists. One of the ones that I uh, know the most about is the American Oil Chemist Society. And they are unified in their voice warning about these seed oils being toxic and dozens mm -hmm. and dozens of articles every month come out about this and they don't get past the wall because the American Heart Association sees to it that doctors continue to be brainwashed. And, you know, you can't publish very easily. If you're a PhD, it's very difficult to publish in, in journals for MDs without an MD on board, right? Without an MD writing, you know, part of your little, your, your study. Uh, but they don't do studies that, sure. that MDs are involved in. So it's just very difficult to get your study into a, a, any medical journal that a doctor would read. And then the American Heart Association, of course, they're going to, they're never going to publish those studies. So if people trying to get these things published, they don't even know about the role of the American Heart Association. They don't, they don't know that side of it either. So it's like you have 
on the one side, you've got all these folks who are in, well, I guess natural medicine or who've, uh, you know, there's, it's not just me. I'm not the only voice, but there are <laughs> a lot of the people who are these voices have, have, you know, read my books, but they've also read the works of Weston Price and some of the, the, one of the women, women that was very, um, influential in that organization, uh, talking about mostly trans fats. But, but so there's all these, there's all of us over here that are saying these seed oils are really the worst thing. They're just the worst thing. And there's all these oil chemists over here saying, yeah, seed oils are really the worst thing. I'm, I'm sorry that we have to feed them to you, but that's what we're tasked to do is uh, there's entire like uh, subsets of committees within the American Oil Chemist Society devoted to trying to figure out how to make soy oil safer. I mean, isn't that ridiculous? Wow. Like, cause they know it's toxic. Oh my gosh. And, but they're doing all this research to be like, well, can we control the oxidation this way or that way or with rosemary oil or with, you know, it, with adding vitamin C and vitamin E or what about if we do this or that? And, and, and it's just like they're just pulling their hair out because they can't find a way. And they've been trying for 150 years because these things are just downright toxic. They're not meant to be consumed by humans, but the American Heart Association says they're good for us. That is the problem that we're all facing now. I mean, this is this is a crisis, and I'm glad you're having me back on to kind of yeah. talk about this because you know people know that sugar is bad for them, right? They, they know that, and there is no organization out there telling you to eat more sugar, right? It's good for your health. There's no organization doing that. Yeah, None the of sugar industry, seriously. <laughs> right? They're trying yeah. to, but right. the, but you know, I don't think people take that seriously anymore when a dietitian says, uh, you know, the dietitians actually used to promote Coke, Coca-Cola, but I don't, I think those days are over that they've kind of, the dietitians yeah. have kind of been outed a little bit there, but there's still this crisis where we still have doctors telling people to eat more of something that has been shown to be toxic and is incompatible with health. So, so yeah, I, I mean, what I'm reminded of here is what happened with Teflon. Right. And how the people who were involved with manufacturing of Teflon had these Teflon headaches and, and it was one lawyer and it was 20 years, 20 years of, and, and it finally just came out that Teflon is this really awful thing, but it seemed like it was so great. And, and they talked about the Teflon flu and they talked about, and so it, it's, I kind of think that in the next, you know, 20, 30 years that we're going to see this, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe not in our lifetimes, maybe in our children's lifetimes or our grandchildren's lifetimes, but I think there's going to be a move toward like, why the hell did, did, did they allow us to eat this? And, and it'll be like one of these mass, you know, mass lawsuits and proof. But it's, I mean, it, it, I think it's just crazy that it's just so, I mean, I guess the biggest thing is it's just really hard to quantify in the human body right now. Yeah. And another thing is that we're eating it whether we want to or not, right? Like, you know, when you're eating sugar for the most part, mm -hmm. because there's this thing called sweetness. So, <laughs> you know, and it's listed as an ingredient. Yeah. Everybody knows to look for sugar, but we, we, and, and we can avoid it right? You can avoid sugar. You can avoid sweet tasting things. It's very difficult to avoid vegetable oils. It's hard to find salad dressings. It's hard to find mayonnaise. It's hard to find peanut butter. It's very difficult to find frozen dinners. It's hard to go out to eat, right? That's a big deal. People get, I've seen some studies mm -hmm. that show that there's like 30% of what we eat comes from a restaurant in this country. That's a third. And that third is 99.9% .9 
using vegetable oil as their main fat. As much as they talk about saturated, yeah. you know, saturated fat yeah. and burgers and all that kind of stuff, that, that's that the, the burgers, unfortunately, as bad as they treat the animals and everything like that, the, the burgers are the healthiest things at McDonald's because they don't have to add a lot of seed oils. They add a lot of other weird stuff, but that, right. they don't add seed oils. They like soy, soybean, you know, soy protein. <laughs> so, I mean, we're almost out of time, but, you know, I want to, and it always goes so fast whenever I talk to you. It's really, I just really enjoy having you on this, this podcast. And I, I want to know, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman who's just, you know, kind of, this is all new to me. And I, I'm, oh my God, I've been eating all this poison. And, you know, what, what do I do? So, I mean, I want to give people some actionable, like tips, like how do you get started getting, I mean, because I, 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 you know, do you ever, ever consume seed oils if you can help it? No. <laughs> and it's easy to not once yeah. you get a few I mean, that's a great answer. Place. Yeah. <laughs> Once you get a few things, and so in place. can so, you give us like one or two things? Yeah, one or two things, and that people can actually put into practice right now to kind of get seed oils out of their lives. So start your day with healthier fats. So whatever, let's say you're having cereal instead of cereal, get some sprouted grain bread, throw it in the toaster, get some good butter, good quality real butter, not like earth balance, it's not butter. Slap it on that. Maybe get some good peanut butter if you like if you're into peanut butter and slap it on that and have like a instant nearly instant healthy version of a pop tart. You could call it a pop tart if it makes your kids eat it. <laughs> oh, yeah, a little cinnamon to it maybe. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cinnamon peanut yeah. butter is great. So much turmeric. Turmeric and peanut butter people love that too. I've heard. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. one thing, but um, for like more ideas. So what I think that it all starts with a shopping list. And so on my website, I have a shopping list of, you know, upgraded food. It's not just poof of free food, but where you can get poof of free food and just a few things to buy. And what I recommend to patients when I work with them is just pick one thing from that list that you're going to buy uh, today. And next time you go shopping, buy that instead. Or if it's, if it's not in your grocery store, mm. get it online, buy it, just one thing. Just start with something small and and that's a good move. And, and and then, you know, you can get it if you want more than one, get a dozen things. But it's it's very easy now to just go online and find alternatives for a lot of stuff. You're not necessarily going to find it in your, you know, around here we've got a Publix, uh, but you might in like a, a Safeway. I don't think you're going to find it in the dollar store or sure. uh, you will find it in Walmart, right? No, so probably not. <laughs> actually, there's a lot of good yeah. things in Walmart now because you know, Walmart, especially now, if you do this combination where you order it ahead and then you pick it up a couple of days ahead, Walmart can source a lot of things that you'll be able to just do the drive-through thing and pick it up. So there's a lot of uh, technology that's helping us get these healthier products. And there's more and more companies making these healthier products now too, because people are waking up. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. And just to remind the audience, PUFA stands for polyunsaturated fatty acids. That's kind of uh, goes with, with the territory. Dr. Dr. Kate doesn't know how much she knows. Um, <laughs> so I, I just, you know, I, I want to thank you. Thank you for coming on and, you know, go, go to Dr. Is it, what is it? Dr. Kate Shanahan.com. Is that right? Where people Dr. can find Kate, you? Dr. Kate, that was just C-A-T-E. Dr. Yeah, it's Kate. like a really old website. Dr. Kate. D-R-C-A-T-E. No, it's great. <laughs> and and you can get started there. She's also got two really, really great books, the, the, the Deep Nutrition, Why Your Genes Need Traditional Food, and 
The Fat Burn Fix. And The Fat Burn Fix is a New York Times bestseller, a great book if you want to get started on how to start burning fat rather than carbs for fuel. Dr. Kate, thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement today. I can't wait to have you back. Thanks, Michelle. It's been so much fun talking to you. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Thank you.